0: If I dare to ask this question as the children are heading out, but I'll ask it anyway. How many really big fans just love the works of William Shakespeare? Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay, all right, okay. Um, You're in the minority, I'm sorry. Um, To be honest, I, I never really got a lot of Shakespeare stuff. Maybe it's, maybe it was the, the ancient language. Maybe it was the way it was broken up. Maybe I'm just more of a, a prose guy than a poetry guy. But William Shakespeare had some tremendous insight into uh, humanity, into the way we think, the way we act, into uh, a lot of the intricacies of our lives. And as I consider this guy, William Shakespeare, one of the one of the one of the one of the things he wrote that I actually got was macbeth i think i understood that pretty much all the way through and there's a lot of insight And i want to share just a little bit about what little of what he wrote so if you're not a shakespeare fan that's okay i think you'll you'll get this part this is what he wrote in macbeth tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps this petty pace from day to day To the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. And then is heard of no more. It is a tale told by an idiot. Full of sound and fury. Signifying nothing. Listen to what he said. Life is a passing shadow, a candle that burns out all too quickly, a poor actor's brief appearance on stage quickly forgotten, a fool's story about nothing but told with loud excitement. Now, some of you thought you were coming to church to actually get picked up and cheered up and encouraged this morning. I'm sorry. Uh, If you were looking for the pep talk, that's certainly not what you've got, at least to, to start off with. And so would you join your hearts with mine as we pray this morning. Father, pray that you still our hearts and still our minds. Allow me, allow us to receive what it is that you want to bring to us. And Lord, as we listen to these words written so many years ago by William Shakespeare we understand that he strikes a chord that is familiar to us about the brevity of life about how quickly we too may be forgotten when this life is over and even about how futile it may seem to live day to day today and so god speak to us speak to us in our humanity that we might understand your truth and be changed by it. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we begin a, a new sermon series called Empty. Boy, that just does not sound... That sounds like a drag all the way around, doesn't it? And so, But some of you are thinking, you know, if I just had a little more money, if I just had a nicer house... If I just had a a better car, if I just had a better job, if I just had a better spouse, if I just had better children, if I just had a better family, father and mother, if I had more and better, then I would be content and fulfilled and happy. But this morning, we're going to discover a guy who had been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and came out on the other side saying, it did not all add up. Once you get to the top, you may not be as satisfied as you think you're going to be. As a matter of fact, a man who had it all could come to the conclusion that he actually had nothing. And so we're going to look in one of those books tucked away in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And you're welcome to turn there if you'd like. I'll give you a heads up on that. We'll be looking there in a few moments. Just uh, start in the middle, kind of in the Psalms, and keep working your way to the right. You'll run into it, I promise. Ecclesiastes, and we'll be looking at these verses in a few moments, but I want to tell you, Ecclesiastes was written by a guy who was, in the, who refers to himself as the teacher or the preacher. It basically means one who's talking to an assembled group, so it would be very similar to what I'm doing here today. In other words, I'm taking this truth and I'm sharing it with a number of people and that's what he is doing. This person happened to be, uh, I believe most Bible scholars interpret it this way, I certainly do, that this person was actually King Solomon who penned many of the, the proverbs that we have there, that this was King Solomon. Now remember about King Solomon, this is key to understanding what we're going to read. King Solomon When God approached him and said, King Solomon, well, he said Solomon. He didn't refer to him as king because, anyway, uh, he said, listen, Solomon, he said, if you'll ask whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon thought about it, and he could have asked for anything. He could have asked for uh, consolidation of power. He could have asked for greater wealth. He could have asked for a number of things that you and I might think of. You know, hey, God, give me the winning lottery number kind of thing. He could have asked for any number of things, but Solomon asked for wisdom. And God was pleased with that choice. And, and, and the Lord said, I'm going to give you the wisdom you're asking for, but because you weren't greedy and wanted all that other stuff, I'm going to give you the power and the money too. In other words, you're getting the whole package because you're wise enough to ask for wisdom. Well, Solomon may be the, the dumbest smart man in Scripture. And we're going to discover why. Because this man who had it all comes to the conclusion... That all I've been doing is chasing after the wind. And so look with me. We're going to break these verses up. Ecclesiastes, we're going to look. uh, We'll start with just the first couple of verses of Ecclesiastes 1. Ecclesiastes 1 verses 1 and 2 say this. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And this, this is what he's saying. This is his teaching. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility Everything is futile. Now, depending on your translation, you may have the word meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or uh, the King James would have vanity of vanities. Um, It's interesting. The the actual translation of, of this is vapor of vapors which doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it will when you consider what he's thinking about. Okay, so why is he using this terminology? Vanity of vanities would basically mean a way to say this is the most vain thing imaginable. Just like we use the word king of kings, which means the greatest king, or lord of lords, which means the greatest lord, or holy of holies, which means the most holy of holy places. When he says vanity of vanities, he's saying the the most vain thing possible. And when he's saying vapor of vapors, he's saying it is the most inconsequential, vaporous, intangible thing imaginable. This is what he's saying about life. Solomon says, look at this. What what is he saying is futile? Look up here. What does he say? Everything. Everything is futile, meaningless, empty, vaporous. Now, again, think about who this is. This is the richest guy in the world, the smartest guy in the world. He's got power. He's got prestige. He's admired all over. If he wanted to, literally, he could have had a different woman every night. Why? Because he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, a 1,000 women at his disposal, Solomon was the original most interesting man in the world. I mean, who, who else? Who would not have wanted Solomon's life? What man in the kingdom would sit there and go, man, I, I wouldn't want to be him. I wouldn't want to have to deal with all that. Uh, all that money, it's just, just a headache. I, I don't want all that kind of stuff. No, everybody would have wanted to be like him. Everybody would have wanted to be him. Everybody would like to trade places with him. But when Solomon considered the sum total of his life, he said, you know what? All this I have, I actually have nothing at all. A handful of smoke. That's, that's my life. That's what it could be summarized. Of, a handful of smoke. It's amazing how we kind of envy people. We think they've got it all together. We think they've got all the pieces of the puzzle. We look at their lives and we kind of wish we could trade lives with them. Because the the thinking is, if I could just have what they have, then my life would have meaning and purpose and value. Not realizing that life does not consist in the abundance of things. We're kind of confused what life is, what God intended it to be. I'll give you a couple of more modern examples. Solomon was kind of a long time ago. Uh, most of you have heard, uh, if you're familiar with sports at all, uh, with Dion Sanders. Deion Sanders, one of the most flamboyant, one of the most braggadocious, and one of the most talented athletes to come along in a long time. Played at Florida State, obviously played baseball and football, took it all the way to the pros. Very few people could do that. I want to share with you what he wrote about his life because some of you may not have heard this. This is what he wrote. I'm I'm just going to read it. He said, there I was, driving 70 miles an hour down the highway, just looking for a place to end it all. Finally, I yanked the wheel to one side and pulled my car off the road. It skidded to a stop in the loose gravel, sending up a cloud of dust. I hesitated for no more than a second or two, built up my nerve, and then put the accelerator to the floor and shot over the edge of the cliff. How had I come to such a low point in my life? Deion Sanders, prime time. Mr. Millionaire Athlete and all that. I've wondered many times since that fateful day what really brought me to that point. How could I have made it to the top of my game in both baseball and football with so much success, so much money and fame, with commercials and endorsements, with my face all all over them running on every channel during the season and then drive off a cliff like that? What happened to me? I just had the best season of my career. Everything I touched turned to gold, but inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting uh, at the back of the practice field one afternoon, away from everybody, and tears were running down my face. I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. I am so unhappy. We're winning every week, and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, parties, women, Buying expensive jewelry and gadgets and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything in the, the world has to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. Solomon could have written those same words, could he not? I've got it all. I've got nothing. But Dion Sanders may be ancient history for some of you. So let me share with you the words of another superstar athlete who's got it all, a guy named Tom Brady who's got three Super Bowl rings. He's married to a supermodel. He's basically got the world at his disposal. Tom Brady did an interview on 60 Minutes, and this is what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, that is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Now, face it, folks, we don't think about those superstar athletes like that, they've got it all. They drive the nice cars. They live in the big houses. They, 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 you know, they, they're marrying supermodels. We're struggling because we've got bills that need to be paid next month and we're not quite sure how we're going to get them paid. They don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. They don't have to worry about the doctor's bills. We've got to worry about putting gas in the car. They worry about which car I'm going to drive. And so we want to, we would like to swap roles with them. We'd like to trade places with them. But when you dig down deep, when you get under the surface, what you discover is the same thing that Solomon discovered, the same thing that Deion Sanders discovered, the same things that Tom Brady is discovering. And that is, even if the cupboards are full, even if I've got it all, my life can still be empty, empty, meaningless, and without purpose. Well, let's go on in this, on in this uh, this section of Ecclesiastes, beginning with verse three. Follow along with me. We'll take a big chunk out of it here. What does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place where they flow again, and flow there again. All things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one, say any about, what can, uh, can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before, and of those who will come after, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. I told you before, I sometimes go out to cemeteries. I may go to Penfield. I may go out here to Greensboro. And I walk around, and uh, it's a good time of reflection. It's a quiet place. Um, And I go around, and I'll I'll look at some of the gravestones that are there, and I'll read the names and the birth dates and the, the death dates. And I recognize as I walk around, these are very real people. Many of them live with very real struggles. Some of them were successful. Some of them were utter failures in their lives. Some of them had wonderful, obedient children. Some of them had children that are little hellions. You know, it's just all kinds of variety out there. But I recognize this, that there are very few fresh flowers. It doesn't matter how much of a big shot that person may have been in life, how large their gravestone may be. By and large, they're pretty much forgotten. Dead and buried. Long gone. And when we look at life like that, sometimes it can punch us in the gut. I'm working so hard. I'm doing so much. I'm striving and striving and striving and striving. And maybe my children will remember me. And maybe my grandchildren will remember me. But there's going to come a generation that doesn't give one thought to me. That was Solomon's conclusion. As he looked at life and this constant twirling and twirling, this merry-go-round that just keeps going round and round and round and round. Some of you know this grind not on a generational scale. Some of you know this grind on a personal scale. I mean, you really get pumped up because it's hump day. I mean, you're going around everybody in your office, everybody where you work, you're telling them, oh, man, this Wednesday week's half over. Man, this is awesome. And then as you, you ease in there, you're, you're singing, thank God it's Friday. I mean, you're, really, you're glad it's Friday. The day's going to be over. Weekend's going to be on you. Man, I'm so looking forward to this. It's been such a long week. And guess what? By the time you turn around, the alarm clock's going off on Monday again. And it's time to hop back on the merry-go-round. That's the grind of life. These, say, these things just keep cycling. And cycling. Cycling, cycling. Some of you are like, man, can we just end it all? This is awful. Well, let's keep going because I think there's something here for us to take away. Verse 12. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my mind to seek and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. He sums it up. I've seen it all. I've done it all. and it's like chasing the wind. That's the grand conclusion. And when Saul said he's seen it all and done it all, Saul will, will give a, I mean Saul, Solomon, Solomon will give us the list. Of what he's seen and done in chapter two, let me just run through these verse one, pleasure, verse two, laughter, verse three, knowledge, verse three, wine, verse four, accomplishments, verse four, houses, verse four, vineyards, verse four, verse five, parks, verse six, reservoirs, verse seven, servants, verse seven, livestock, verse eight, gold and silver, verse eight, entertainment, and verse eight, women, women, and more women. That's the list. So when he says, hey, listen, I've done it all. I've seen it all. He's telling the truth. He's been there. And here's a summary. After that list, here's a summary. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. All that my eyes had desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. For I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I'd accomplished and what I'd labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here I stand, he said, hands grasping at smoke, vapors chasing the wind. I'm trying to paint this picture as fully, completely as I possibly can because this goes completely contrary to what we are taught. We are taught that the things of this world are the things that matter. What we will discover one day, either on this side of heaven or when we get there, is everything we believed had value, meaning, purpose in this life, we're going to discover that it meant absolutely zero. And the things that we shoved to the side, we're going to find those things are the things that really mattered. I've never had the encounter myself, but I've heard it said that no man or woman on their deathbed says, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. There is As life comes near to its end, a refining of our values. And we begin to wish we'd loved more, cared more, given more, served more, and maybe worked a little less. So what is it that you think will make you happy? What is it that you think will satisfy you? What is it that you think will bring fulfillment? In other words, what are you chasing after? If you're chasing after money or power or prestige or position, you're going to find that it's an empty pursuit, eventually. It's an empty pursuit. Oh, it it has its pleasures for now. It has its fulfillment for now. But ultimately, it's an empty pursuit. And so, let's gain a little perspective from another guy who had achieved a good bit in his life. His name is Paul. And he wrote this to the church in Philippi But everything that was of gain to me, I've considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things. And consider them filth. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not have a righteousness of my own from the law. But one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal. My goal. My goal is to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached that goal or I'm already fully mature. i make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. Everything we think is something is nothing. Chasing after the wind. The question we wrestle with this morning is, what is it that I'm chasing after? We can chase after the stuff of this world and the pleasures of this world and find ourselves with empty hands. Or we can run hard after Christ, chasing the righteousness that is in him pursuing him with diligence and purpose and find that in the end we run into his arms and discover he's everything we ever needed.